listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. As parents, we want the best for our kids. But in today's world of ultra-processed foods, technology overload, and lack of movement, children's health is declining at an alarming rate. Our special guest, Dr. Sheila Carroll, reveals practical strategies any parent can implement right away to start turning this around. If you want to empower your kids with habits and life skills that will serve them for years to come, you don't want to miss this episode. Listen in. Your kids will thank you for it. Before you listen in, I want to thank our listener of the week who says, who would have thought that a person who spent a large part of their life to be a doctor of pharmacy would stretch their mind into wanting to do more than just give people drugs? I love this so much and looking forward to a healthier future. Thank you for this new approach to helping us all. You are so welcome. I love thinking outside the box and helping others do the same. Healthcare professionals and patients alike. When you see the results your patients get, more energy, more confidence, and an optimistic outlook on their health and life, you'll love taking a new approach to health as well. So remember, when you leave us a five-star review, you'll get the chance to be featured as our next listener of the week, and I'll give you a shout out right here on the show. Hello, hello, and welcome to Pivoting Pharmacy with Nutrigenomics. I'm Dr. Tamar Lawful, Doctor of Pharmacy and Certified Nutritional Genomics Specialist. In today's empowering exchange of ideas, we're decoding the essence of your child's health. What truly matters when it comes to the nourishment, vitality, and well-being of our little ones? Now, that's a question worth exploring, don't you think? If you've been listening into Pivoting Pharmacy for a while, you know by now that by using the unique lens of nutrigenomics, we can shine a light on those areas where we may need a little extra care and attention, and that includes the areas our kiddos might need to work on as well. But once we get the results, how do we help our patients or our clients take action, especially children? How on earth do we teach our children to embrace these recommendations joyfully? Speaking from experience, as a mom of an energetic five-year-old, I'm eager to dive into these questions and even more excited because we have an ally on our side today, the remarkable Dr. Sheila Carroll, pediatrician, obesity medicine physician, life and weight coach, and perhaps most importantly, a fellow mom navigating the same twists and turns on this roller coaster of parenthood. So are you ready, my friends? Plug in those earbuds, adjust the volume, and let's dive into learning, growth, and transformation together. Let's listen in. Sheila, thank you for joining us on the show today. I'm looking forward to our conversation, uh, talking about nutrition and um, getting our kids to really, how do we get our kids to make these changes as parents? Now, and also how can we make these changes ourselves as parents, right? We have to start with us first, but can you first tell us about your personal and professional journey that led you to the health, the life coaching that you're doing now? Sure. And thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this discussion too. I um, have been a person who has struggled with my own weight ever since I was a kid. So as a 10-year-old little kid, I weighed more than my brothers and sisters. I weighed more than I wanted to. Um, and I struggled off and on, you know, throughout my whole adulthood until about five years ago. Um I also became a doctor at, uh, my dad wanted me to be a pharmacist, actually. Really? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but he was a doctor and somehow I ended up becoming a, a doctor and a, and a pediatrician. Um, and I was a pediatrician for about 23 years trying to help families and help kids live super healthy lives. Um, and I also became board certified in obesity medicine a year, a year or two ago. Um, and how I became a life coach was that I joined a life coaching program myself about five years ago to help my to help myself uh lose weight and um learn a new way of eating and that was really a transformative experience for me personally mm -hmm. as a person who had struggled with her weight since I was a kid up until I was 50 years old so a long time 40 years mm -hmm. um and in a way I I laugh because as a physician, I actually needed a life coach to teach me how to lose weight as opposed to like the medical community. <laughs> but it's it's just so true. And this is exactly what happened. Um, I learned I learned two important things in the whole in the um, life coaching program that I was in. Well, I learned a lot of different things, but the main thing was this um, they call it a think, feel, act cycle. It's okay. um, it's understanding that our thoughts are creating our feelings and our feelings are driving our actions. Mm. And so especially when you're talking about health behaviors or, um, you know, for example, weight or if your goal is weight loss, but you can use it with anything for improving your health. Um uh, getting more sleep or getting more movement. Um, it, when you can look at what are the thoughts that you're having that are creating your feelings of either taking the actions you want to take mm -hmm. or taking actions you don't want to take or taking or not doing any action at all. You know, this is where this is where the whole meat of the matter comes in for behavior change for for all of us. And what I learned in that life coaching program was how to think about my own thinking and how my thoughts were translating into the results I was currently having. Oh, and wow. if I didn't like the results I was currently having in any aspect of my life, I could trace them back to the thoughts I was having. And then, and not to judge myself or beat myself up or anything like that, but to be like, oh, okay. I see what I'm thinking and I don't, and, and then I learned that my thoughts are optional. I don't actually have to be thinking that and that I can choose different thoughts. And I learned how to think on purpose mm. um, and to create new thoughts, which created new feelings, which generated new actions, which gave me a 50 pound weight loss. Um, wow. and, and a whole new, you know, a whole new approach to, um, my life, really, really every aspect of my life. And so I saw when I went through this personally and kind of had this personal shift and transformation, I saw I saw how this could be so helpful for my patients. Um, it, it, really, when I say my patients, I kind of mean their parents. Okay. Um, because as a pediatrician, my patient is the child, really the whole family, but technically the child. Mm -hmm. um, but kids, uh, by definition, they're just developing and their brains are just developing. So to understand your thinking and like the meta skill of thinking about your thinking, you need a very well-defined 
prefrontal cortex, which we know doesn't develop fully until you're 25 or 26 years old. Um, I have a 12-year-old son now, and he's he's able to think about his thinking a little bit, but not to the extent that I'm able to think about my own thinking. Mm. Um, and so when we're talking about health behaviors or behavior change, the medical approach has always, people used to bring their children to me, um, you know, if they had a child who was carrying extra weight or struggling with weight, they the medical, the traditional medical model is to bring the child to the doctor. And then I was supposed to talk to the child, a 10 year old, 11 year old, you know, seven year old, I mean, whatever age, I was supposed to talk to them to try to get them or to educate them and to instruct them and to I don't know, inspire them to change their habits. And how can a seven-year-old change their habits when they're not in the grocery shopping? Yeah, that's exactly the problem, right? So this is the problem. This is the problem we are facing. Who I really needed to be talking to Mm -hmm. um, is the parents. And of course, I always tried to talk to the parents, but with the little child standing sitting there too, you I would you know you have to be super. I was very cognizant of the fact that I didn't want to be saying anything, don't want it meaning anything negative. Okay. We don't. I don't. You know, I like to focus on people's health and total health, and not even the number on the scale, especially for kids. It's so stigmatizing and so. Uh, painful. I remember a little kid when I was a little kid and my doctor told me I needed to lose weight. He actually told my mom in front of me, he's like, Mm -hmm. you just got to get her to stop eating. And, you know, I, you know, it was, I remember that and feeling, I felt like so small and so ashamed. Um, And so that's the last thing our kids need from us. They just need to, uh, they need the parents well, all the things they need, their parents love, complete unconditional acceptance of how they are. And the parents are the ones who can um, make the changes, decide what family changes they are going to make. And then my recommendation is to for the parents to make the changes to themselves first, before even trying to make any lifestyle changes for their kids but to make the changes themselves and then shift to changing as a whole family. Wow. So from your, that's very powerful, um, Sheila. So from your personal journey with your weight loss in a Mm -hmm. life coaching program that led you to where you are now, now coaching parents and children, families to implement implement better nutrition on a day-to-day basis. Now, one of your, you don't just focus on diet, right? Um, You also look at emotional regulation skills is something I read about from you. So can you shed some light on how emotional well-being can affect eating habits? Sure. And we oftentimes don't think about kids being emotional eaters or eating for reasons other than hunger, but it's oftentimes, it's our culture and how we sometimes teach kids to eat for reasons other than hunger. For example, like, oh, even we do it in the medical office, right? Uh, 
oh, here's, you're getting an immunization. Here's a lollipop or this will make you feel better. (laughs) And so, or, oh, you're upset. Well, let's go get ice cream or, oh, have a snack or something. So what we really, so to just to take one step back before I answer this question is one thing I think it's so important for all of us and especially for parents to understand is the current food system, the modern food system that we are living in. Mm -hmm. It is such a challenge uh, for us as human beings. We weren't designed to really eat these highly processed foods. Right. Um, And they are, our bodies literally weren't designed to eat this amount of sugar, this, this, this amount of, you know, all of these processed foods with these refined grains and the seed oils, which are causing a lot of inflammation. Um, And your average kid's dietary intake is somewhere around 65, 67% of highly processed foods makes up all the calories of a child's diet. Right. So, you know, what's mm-hmm. happening is that our kids' brains, our kids' brains and their bodies are kind of being hijacked, is one word you could use, by these highly processed foods. And they make you want to eat more of these foods. Mm-hmm. They mess with your tr- body's hormones, your true hunger signals, you know, the the, the chemical, the hormones that tell you if you're right. hungry, tell you if you're full. We know that highly processed foods affect that. So we've really kind of lost touch. I know I did, uh, and I'll speak to for my son as well. When he eats a lot of highly processed foods, you can't you can't really tell when you're hungry or or not hungry anymore. Right. And so that's one skill we really want our kids to learn is eat when you're physically hungry, and eat you know and and stop when your body has had enough. Um, And so emotional eating comes in, you know, the definition of emotional eating, the simple definition is eating for any reason other than physical hunger. So eating when you're bored, um, eating when you're sad, eating, eating when you're happy, celebrating, you know, good news or Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving and Christmas, whatever, eating all of these, all for all of these reasons, other than hunger. Um, But one skill that's really amazing for parents to be able to teach their kids and it speaks to the emotional um, regulation skills that you and I were just talking about is for kids to be able to actually identify what they're feeling and name it and actually kind of feel it in their actual body. Um, And that goes, that helps in a lot of things. It helps with, it helps with behavior and, uh, you know, uh, um, it's really, it's emotional regulation. What am I actually feeling? Mm -hmm. And then being for a child to have the vocabulary over time, depending on how old they are to name what they're, what they're feeling. And Dan Siegel, Dr. Dan Siegel, he's, he's written some real, you know who I'm talking about? Yes. (laughs) Some amazing parenting books. Mm -hmm. And he uses the term name it to tame it. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so so naming the feeling kind of allows it, it's an allowance of that feeling. So yeah. you're not you're not looking to do things 
to make that feeling go away. Mm-hmm. So um, in the coaching world, we call that buffering. You're having okay. an, an emotion that you don't want to be having frustration, um, irritation, whatever. So buffering would be, you know, eating, you know, even if you're not hungry, but eating to tamp down that negative feeling, um, over shopping. Sometimes people shop when they're upset or shop to try to change their emotional, uh, feeling, um, over scrolling on social media, over drinking over, you know, overing Mm -hmm. anything kind of is, is, but what we really need is to be able to feel our feelings. Right. This is such an important, was an important, like eye-opening skill for me. My coach said to me, but she says it to everyone. But when she said it to me, I was really like, whoa. Um, she said, you don't have a overeating problem so much as you have a underfeeling problem. Wow. Yeah. Underfeeling. Underfeeling. I thought you were going to say overfeeling, but it's underfeeling because you're suppressing those feelings yeah you're not willing to feel the feeling yeah if I was bored for example or for me like with my job you know working really long hours um feeling so fatigued feeling frustrated feeling tired feeling you know some of these negative feelings that go along with these high pressure jobs Mm -hmm. I eat in response to that Um, I didn't realize I was doing that of course I had no idea um and, and when I realized that that's what I was doing, the first step is just the awareness of it. And then you can get that little pause between, oh, I should eat something to actually I'm not even really hungry. What am I? Oh, I'm really just irritated or right. I'm really <laughs> <I was> irritated <laughs> or frustrated or tired. You know, you realize you're feeling and then you're like, okay. I'll just, I'll feel that feeling in my actual body. So it's really just kind of connecting your body and your Your minds. Mm. And it's such a wonderful skill for, for, well, for adults, for sure. But kids like, wow, it's so powerful for them to understand that. Right. And really be able to name that feeling. It's interesting because I'm, I have a five-year-old daughter. So we have this book that, um, is about feelings. It goes over different types of emotions and things like that. And when she is upset or feeling any type of way where she's not even wanting to talk to me <laughs> about it, like, you know, just, just being grumpy, I'll say, you know, let's, let's look in our book of feelings and help and tell me which one it is you're actually feeling today. Um, so that does, it does actually work for them to just get in tune and really, even with the, um, with anything, right. And raising our kids, um, to really identify those feelings. I love that, that strategy. Yes. Well, good for you because that's such a powerful gift to your daughter to, for her to really be able to, to kind of, you know, understand what she's feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then so for adults too. Totally. You know, I think they, there's data that suggests like most people can name five emotions or something. It's like mad, sad, happy, you know, it's, they're these, they're, but they, <laughs> you know, the, they're very vague things, but right. you know, if you ever look up, you could, your listeners could just Google like the feelings wheel or emotions wheel. Um, and they're pretty nuanced feelings. Um, and that no, being able to kind of pinpoint that or tie into that, it's, um, 
really liberating. You know, it's freeing really when you really realize like what you're actually feeling. And then the really amazing part is, well, you could, you, to understand why you're feeling that you kind of go backwards and say, well, what thought am I having that's creating that feeling for me? Even thoughts you might not realize that you're having. Um, and, but when you can take that moment and, and, oh, I'm feeling, well, for example, I'll give you an, an example. This weekend, my son's playing, he's plays hockey and he, um, he, he's not allowed to check his, his age group is not yet allowed to check people, but he, okay. everybody. um, he on purpose, I saw him do that on purpose. He was mad. He was frustrated because he felt that the ref missed a call for him anyways he and so I because I knew what was because I knew I saw what he did I knew what his feeling must have or I presumed what his feeling was and I know the thought he should have had but then I realized oh now I'm frustrated with him I'm Mm -hmm. feeling super frustrated with him because I'm and my thought that was causing my frustration was he shouldn't do that he shouldn't be acting like that. Mm. And so I was frustrated with him by my own thought. My thought was he didn't, he didn't actually make me frustrated. He was just being him. He, Theo was just being Theo. Uh-huh. And, but my own thought, because if I had thought like, oh, it's fine. That's totally, that's reasonable what he did. I yeah. wouldn't have been frustrated at all. Yeah. So I think this skill is really awesome for parents to learn because it's so freeing because now your kid doesn't make you frustrated. Your kid, your child is just being your child. You are in charge. You are the owner of your thoughts and your feelings and your actions. And so to me, like that's just great news because I can control all of those things. And yeah. it was really liberating. Definitely empowering, empowering a strategy to learn for parents and for the child themselves as well. Now, I want to get back to this processed food thing okay. <laughs> that we yeah. mentioned. So, you know, we, in a modern world, we revolve, everything is quick, easy, right? Mm-hmm. Our meals are quick, easy, DoorDash to your door. And I'm guilty of using DoorDash. Um because you're not really knowing what's in your food for for sure, right? And then there are a lot of processed foods out here. But what what kind of practical advice or tools can parents have who might struggle with time management and healthy food preparation? So it's just easy for them to just pack the bag of chips for their kids to go to school, or you know, what would you recommend for them if they their time is an issue with time management? Yeah, for sure. The, the the ease and convenience of these foods are is one of their best selling points. Um, so the, my recommendation for parents is to really think about, I think about it as a safety issue. Mm. And, you know, it, it is so serious, in my opinion, in my medical opinion, it is so serious such a bad thing for our kids to be eating so much highly processed foods that for me, it's like a safety issue. 
It's like a seatbelt. You know, I don't let my son ride in the car without wearing his seatbelt. I I feel like these foods are are they're not neutral. They're not harmless. They're actually really bad for us as humans. We weren't designed to handle them. They're they're you know. So you have all the added sugars in foods, um, in, in these highly processed foods usually. So that's one tip. What's one, what's, what's, what's one easy thing parents could do to potentially start becoming aware of the situation is look at the back of the package and see how many grams of added sugar is in the serving size. The recommendation, if you're between zero and two years old, you're supposed to have zero grams of added sugar a day. Um, and if you're between two and 19 or two an adult, it's, it's somewhere around 25 grams of sugar a day, which is about six teaspoons of sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you, so, um, if you look at a Gatorade or a Coca-Cola, sometimes those have upwards of 50, 60, 70 grams of sugar in one, one little bottle. Wow. So we are, and so our, our human bodies we evolved not eating these foods. We didn't evolve with the only sugars we used to be able to eat were fruit, some vegetables, um, and honey, if we ever stumbled across that, you know, out in the wild. But so our, our physical body, our livers, we weren't, we weren't designed to handle this kind of food, right. not to mention all the chemicals, the preservatives, um, the they're disrupting like the gut microbiome, which is creating this leaky gut is a term people use, but basically right. um, it's, it's creating like these little uh, holes so that now um, problems are occurring between the body and the brain. Um, and so we need to understand that the processed foods that are that we're eating and that our kids are eating are bad for us. <laughs> and so getting back to the question about time, you know, when I realized like, oh, it, it this is not just harmless for him, you know, or it's not like, oh, it could be better. I could be doing a better job. I realized like, whoa, this is actually hurting him. Um, and even if you don't have a child who's struggling with extra weight right now, the pro highly processed foods are still, they're just not good for any of us. They're contributing to anxiety, depression, um, and in older people, cognitive decline, um, Alzheimer's, you know, the, the is being now being called like uh, type three diabetes, insulin resistance of the brain cells. And all of this is coming from our, our reliance on these foods. So mm. I would just say we have to fit you as a parent, you have to find a way to make the time to not necessarily make everything from scratch, but if you're not making any, if you're if you're only serving or only or really relying on highly processed foods, what's one thing you can do today that would, um, you know, take some of that away? And that might be prepping the night before mm -hmm. um, some vegetables or some fruit to pack in your child's lunch. 
Um, and it's just a matter for me. I think, I don't think parents realize, and honestly, I didn't realize either. And it wasn't until I took like a very, very deep medical dive, which most people can't do because they're not doctors, they're not pharmacists. They don't have the time, frankly, or the interest in understanding the body's hormonal responses to these foods. Right. And it's, it's super complicated. Um, I didn't realize how bad they were for us, you yeah. know? And and so I think now nowadays we have somewhere between... 20 to 30% of kids and the teens are struggling with extra weight or obesity or being overweight or, mm -hmm. cl or clinically classified as obese. We have kids with anxiety, ra rising rates of anxiety and depression and mental health problems. Um, and a lot of this can be well, maybe cured, number one, is what I would like to offer. I, I think there's so many powerful benefits to switching to trying to eat minimally processed foods. Um, you know, changing what we eat, moving away from these highly processed foods is going to be, we just have, we have to do it. There's no other way. In my opinion, I don't see us being healthy eating these highly processed foods until and unless the highly processed food companies make them more healthy, healthy. for us. Yeah. 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 When I first found out that um, they have food scientists that are actually there to have the food taste more addictive, <laughs> you know, oh. be more addictive. Um, yeah. So that's why when someone eats like a bag of chips, they have to have another one or another one. It's, there's yeah. no off button. And I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I was telling my son, I read this thing called the Dorito effect. Which <laughs> Doritos are the worst. <laughs> yeah. Well, they- it's so addictive. They don't, they don't make every Dorito, every single chip doesn't taste the same. Every single Dorito chip has a different amount of seasoning on it. Mm -hmm. And so you might get one that's like, whoa, amazing. This yeah. Dorito was the best. The next one might be, huh, not that great. And then you're like, oh, well, then I need another one because the last one, you know, so yeah, yes, this is what they have scientists. They're paying people money to, to do this. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we just don't know that, but the other thing that's really happening to, we have to be aware that yes, these, these food companies are just trying to make money. They're just trying to sell their product. But the way those products are interacting with our physical body, our, our brain, our brain chemicals and our hormones, it's making us want to eat more of them. Mm -hmm. And it's like we said before, kind of um, blocking our ability to tell when we're hungry, hungry. or not hungry. Um, but we get that back when we switch to eating real food. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we would have be having the problems that we're having in our society with with weight uh, and and lots of other lots of complications uh, from uh, or lots of other problems, diabetes, things like yeah. that. If we were only offered, if all the processed foods just went away magically, our health would dramatically improve. I agree with you one hundred percent. Yeah. Sheila, 100% just eating your natural, natural food, real food. Yeah. <laughs> real then you don't food. have to count calories. You don't have to go on a diet. You just eat real food. 
eat when you're hungry, when you've had enough and drink water. And that's another thing that I think is hopefully low hanging fruit for parents. I always really, really uh, want parents to stop having their kids drink liquid sugar, like any soda, Gatorade, um, even juices. Juices. Yeah, they're just really unhealthy for us as a human. And we don't need them. Your child doesn't need them. Mm-hmm. Um, water after they're one, uh, you know, they can really just have water. Yeah. Uh, so anyways. Well, thank you for that. So for our busy parents out there with time not on your side, we can you can consider prepping the night before, switching out the sugars for healthy sugars that you can get from fruits, right? and and eating real food, putting real food in those lunch boxes for your kids. So I want to, you know, get into change over time because with two decades of experience in pediatrics, have you noticed any significant shifts in children's nutrition habits over the years? And if so, what have been the biggest impact on their health in your opinion? And it might be what we just talked about, but (laughs) any significant shifts? Yeah, it is what we just talked about. I've seen kids' health honestly getting worse. Mm. And that's been super, it's it's hard to see, number one. It's hard for parents to see. And parents don't know why. And parents don't know why their, their kids are suffering from some of these other health problems that we're seeing younger and younger we never used to see almost never when i first started in medicine did we see kids with they they call it non-alcoholic fatty liver disease mm-hmm. um but it's it's basically fat cell fat being deposited in your liver which used to only happen for people who drank too much alcohol right. alcoholics would get alcoholic fatty liver disease now there's this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We're certainly seeing it in adults. It's one of the leading causes of need for liver transplant. Um, but we're seeing this in kids too. So because of the, usually because of all the sugar that's being uh, drunk or drinking, what's the right word? Yeah. <laughs> um, consumed um, in liquid form, that fructose is going, getting turned right into fat. Fats getting stored in the liver and kind of crushing out um, the the healthy the healthy liver cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, over the course of the past twenty years, um, seeing kids' uh, physical health decline, their weights go up, and also kids who are have who would have a normal weight or quote normal weight on the on the scale or who don't appear to have a problem with weight they're still having kids having some anxiety going up depression going up and to me that's also heavily tied to this processed food diet that we're having mm-hmm. that, the high, heavily processed food uh, the highly processed foods are creating this whole body inflammation state which is also inflammation of your um, the brain cells and the chemicals and the um, neurotransmitters that are needed to um, yeah. kind of make you feel good. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a challenge because parents are busy. Like you said, 
you know, I was a busy, I'm a busy parent too. I'm a single mom, you know, when I was working uh, full-time at one point I was working almost two full-time jobs because um, I was busy in the hospital. Um, and these foods are so easy to buy. They're, they're, yeah. they're economical usually. And we know our kids are going to eat them and our kids aren't going to give us a hard time. Um, and then we don't have to worry that our kids are hungry, you know, so there's all of these forces kind of conspiring to make this an uphill, uh, uphill walk for us to get on top of it. But I just think we, there's no other way. There is no other way except to back off the amount of highly processed foods. You know, now they're offering, you probably know as a pharmacist and all your listeners, if they're pharmacists, like the medications, the new medications that are coming out, um, they're offering uh, GLP-1 agonists mm -hmm. to 12 and up. Yeah. And I just saw a paper that they're now studying it for six years old and up. Yeah. Um, and bariatric surgery for 12-year-olds mm -hmm. and up. Um when, you know, I, I, I think maybe those medications have a place as a jumpstart for people. And, um, but I also feel like we can help people with their lifestyle, but they need help. They need intensive support. It's not easy to make these changes by yourself. And we expect, of course, the insurance companies won't pay for that. Um, which makes no sense whatsoever. Absolutely <laughs> no sense. This is, you know, I don't know what this is, you know, welcome right. to this, you know, health system where we don't pay for preventative medicine. Right. We'd rather, we'd rather give you a drug after the fact that you're sick, as opposed to helping you just avoid all of those problems in the right. place. But this is why parents, this is why parents need the education, they need the support, and they need to figure out themselves, how am I going to get myself to, to do this, to help my child? And um, they can, they definitely can do it. And uh, we just have to keep helping parents figure out this, how to do it. Yeah. So definitely with um, making those habits and educating the parents so they know how to do it to help their kids. It's very important. And um, it's amazing to me where a, a child six years old is presenting like an adult that has alcoholism with the fatty liver, you know, um, because of the way we're eating now and um, in our society at such a young age. And, you know, you did mention that part of your program involves teaching moms so that they can impart knowledge to their kids have you noticed any recurring misconceptions that moms have about their kids' nutrition? Yes, for sure. I think there's a there's some I call them thought errors or limiting beliefs is another mm -hmm. term, but you know, we think our kids need candy to have a happy childhood. Um, and I'm not saying they can never have candy. That's not what I'm saying at all. And it's fine. My son eats candy here and there, you know, mm -hmm. he, you know. but what I, I'm saying is sometimes I think there's a lot of parenting parents that are like, my kid, my kid will never eat and then fill in the blank broccoli. My kid would never eat salmon. My kid would never eat, you know, whatever. Yeah. If you are a parent who thinks your kid is never going to eat that, then they won't eat that, 
right? But every child, just every child, just like you and I, they might, okay, they might really not like the taste of salmon. Fine. Okay. But what that, that only comes after they've tried it several times, that after they've tried it, cooked a couple different ways, you've offered it, you know, and, and they, they just really don't have a taste for that. Okay. Move on, then move on to the next healthy thing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think parents, so many parents, not necessarily the clients that I have right now, because the clients I have are actually looking for, like they're working on, they're trying to figure this out. But in my clinical practice, when I was a pediatrician, part of the part of the issue was like the parents would come and they were like, he won't eat that. He won't eat that. She won't eat that. And, <laughs> and it was just, it, the, I didn't have the time, number one, and they didn't have the interest, number two, in shifting that. Um, so I think over time, if you were able to spend enough time with someone, you might be able to help the parent shift the thought a little bit like, oh, my child could eat that. Or right. wouldn't it be beneficial for them to eat that? Or how can I work to get them to eat that? Um, but that's, that's one of the main things I think is that sometimes parents have limiting beliefs about what their child is capable of. Um, and then we have all of these cultural beliefs about what makes childhood fun. And um, and food is really tied into that. Um, sugar, usually sugary foods, right? <laughs> we want them to be happy, of course. We want our children to be happy, but we want them to be healthy. And right. I think a lot of parents don't realize that what they do for their kids now impacts them not just now, but also later in the future. We may not see certain things exhibiting right now, but um, especially when it comes to genetics and Mm -hmm. and things like that, we're flipping on or off some kind of switches (laughs) for in terms of that for analogy purposes that are going to manifest later on. You know, people who are being diagnosed with say type two diabetes Mm -hmm. in their forties and fifties, that didn't start in their forties and fifties. That probably started when they were kids and teens. And finally their body is just like, I don't know. I don't know what to do anymore. You know? So yeah, I think the thing is, you know, we, you said we want our kids to be happy and we want our kids to be healthy. The truth is, you can't really be happy if you're not healthy. Yes. And so we have to figure out a way to, and we can. And, the, you know, it just takes a shift of your mind. Like, for example, we live up here in Maine, and in the summer, we go to the beach. And a lot of families get an ice cream cone every single time they're coming home from the beach Mm -hmm. because that makes it better quote, you know, that's more fun. It's more fun to get ice cream. But the truth is like when you really start to think about it and you can understand that ice cream once in a while, totally fine. But if you're getting an ice cream three, four, five times a week, that's really not healthy for your child, not healthy for you, not healthy for your child. And then you just have to ask your question, ask the question like, well, what is fun? And oh, the fun of going to the beach was being together, being connected, you know, being outside, enjoying, you know, the water, all all of the things. And our all through marketing and 
advertising and our culture, we think like somehow food is fun or food is love. Um, when we can just untangle those things and then we're, we're like the fun of going to the beach is like the things we just talked about being together, being outside. It's not getting an ice cream. Um, right. But so, so just, just, and that doesn't mean you can never get an ice cream, but just understand and teach your kids that the ice cream isn't what's making it fun. Fun. Right. Yeah. And, and frankly, you know, again, we'll just go back to that whole thought feeling action cycle. It's just your thought about the ice cream that's making it fun. Right. <laughs> and when they say the mind is powerful, thoughts are powerful. There was nothing but the truth and it applies in so many aspects of our aspects of our lives, especially with our nutrition and lifestyle changes. Now we know that making change, making changes is not easy, um, but we want them to be sustainable, right? So that's why with, although they might have an injection or a pill or even surgery to help with weight loss, is it sustainable? And the answer to that is not necessarily because we're not getting to the core of the problem. We're not getting to that root cause of why or how they ended up that way in the first place, right? But we have to start somewhere. So for parents listening who want to start making positive changes in their family's nutrition habits right away, where would you suggest they begin? And we'll wrap up with this, Sheila. Okay. Well... One thing I think holds people back from even being willing to try to make a change is the black or white thinking, the all or nothing, the perfectionism thinking like, if I can't make it perfect, or if I can't make all of these changes, if I can't get rid of 100% of the ultra processed food in our life, it's totally not worth doing, forget it, you know, and I would just say, like, that is that. It, that's just your brain's way of trying to keep you safe. And it's, it's normal. It's normal to think that way, but it's not helping you in any way. So what's, I always ask people like, well, what's the lowest hanging fruit? What's like one thing you think you could do? Okay. Could you eliminate soda? Don't buy soda anymore. Don't bring home. We call it soda up here. What do you guys call it? Well, I'm from the East Coast because I call it soda, but I've heard people out here in California call it pop. <laughs> yeah, pop or yes. you know, soft drinks or, you know, whatever. Um, right. So that doesn't mean you can never drink it. Although really, honestly, the truth is you really should never drink it. It is so bad for you. Um, but at least like maybe a low hanging fruit is just don't buy that anymore. Or if you're buying three, two liter bottles, okay, buy one two liter bottle this week. Mm. Okay. And then you can cut that back even more. I, I think that there's, there's no wrong way to start and you just have to be willing to make these like tiny little changes, 1% change, 1% change, 1% change. And yeah. over time that really adds up. I know it's boring advice and people want, you know, a quick fix and a, and a quick win. Um, but, you know, and there are so many, there are so many, you know, make one small food change, get a little bit more sleep. If you're a parent, make sure your child is getting the right amount of sleep. Mm -hmm. Because if your child, especially our teenagers with their devices and their phones, they're not sleeping well at mm -hmm. all. 
and they're not getting the right amount of sleep, which then we know throws off our insulin regulation, our hunger hormones. So you're hungrier the next day. So you eat more and you're not eating healthy food. You're eating your body's craving kind of unhealthy, junky carb food. Um, And also then your mood is off. And when you're in a bad mood, you tend to eat, eat worse. And so, you know, try to make sure your child is getting the right amount of sleep or help them um, get the right amount of sleep. And then moving our ancient body as humans, we evolved over the thousands and thousands of years, really moving our bodies every day. We had to, um, we j- that's how we evolved. And today mm-hmm. in today's world, we don't have to move at all. You mentioned DoorDash. <laughs> and um and our devices and our cars and it's really comfortable to not move but it's just not healthy for us so okay so what if you're not doing anything right now what could you do all right how about five minutes could you if you don't want to go outside and walk could you walk around your apartment or walk around your house or go up and down the stairs a couple times, you know, kids like a little dance party or Mm -hmm. something. Could you do something to get you and your kids moving a little bit more today than you did yesterday? Mm -hmm. And if you do a little change in your food, a little change in your sleep, a little change in your movement and in your emotional regulation skills and really learn how to feel your feelings, that's going to move the needle like a huge amount. And then when you start to feel a little bit better or notice like, whoa, I have a little bit more energy, then you have more energy to do more good things for yourself. Right. So it will build on itself over time. Great advice. So from getting proper sleep, nutrition, um, it's like, it made me think when you were talking, what we learned in pharmacy school when it comes to adjusting doses of medications, start low, go slow, or yeah, start low and go slow, right? So we're not gonna go cold turkey and empty out your pantry of everything that's processed, right? Not a bad idea, but <laughs> what we're wanting, what we're trying to establish are sustainable yeah. habits, right? So we kind of have to just take out a little bit at a time and replace it with something that's healthier, right? And, and um, it's yeah. a long game. It's a long game. It is. For, yeah. Yeah. It's a long game. Hang in there. <laughs> it's not yeah. hang in there. Just stick with it. Make those small changes from each aspect that um that Sheila mentioned, and those results will be seen. They'll be seen. Um, so thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you for joining us today. This was very insightful and a lot of information. I enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. You're welcome. That's all I have for you today, friends. If any part of this conversation interested you or resonated with you, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Your five-star review and comments can guide others on a similar journey. Subscribe, rate, and download this episode to ensure you're always in the loop. Coming up next week on the show, we'll dive into the amazing world of nutrigenomics and discuss quick, effective strategies to integrate it into your practice. This could be your game changer, helping you empower your patients to take control of their health with fewer medications. Talk to you next Friday.